0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: BELIEVE. Hello, Raider Nation, and welcome to another edition of the BELIEVE in Raiders podcast on the BELIEVE Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackerman. Please be joined by former Raider great Stanford Rout. Stan, how we doing?
2: Pretty good, man. Uh, We started college football last night. We are now about to be in the NFL season next week, so you got to love this time of the year, especially if you're somebody like me.
1: You called UC Davis and Tulsa? How was yeah. that?
2: Oh, man, uh, UC Davis came out victorious. They got a young quarterback, Hunter Rodriguez, makes plays with his feet and his arm. I think uh, Coach Hawkins came out with a good game plan, and you could tell from the very opening kick that UC Davis felt like they belonged on the same field as Tulsa the Golden Hurricane and it pretty much showed throughout four quarters and I think that Tulsa probably has a little bit more depth but definitely you could tell which team wanted it more which team had more grit because the fourth quarter coming up with big interceptions the running back Gilliam and Larison and those guys I think that you really are going to see um, a big year out of UC
1: Davis Aggies and they're a Division II school or one double, o, whatever they're calling it these days. And they actually pull yeah, off they're, the upset. They're, FC, they're FCS, basically. Right. But they FCS. beat Tulsa?
2: Yes, they beat Tulsa in
1: 1917. Wow. All right, Stan, there's a report your alma mater, University of Houston, could be headed to the Big 12. What kind of strings are you pulling behind the scenes, man, to make this happen?
2: Oh, I'm not pulling a damn thing. Uh, oh, simply because, trust me. I, I mean that that right there is for the Tillman Fertitas of the world. Like, like I, I don't, I don't fit in that weight class yet. But nonetheless, no, I'm not pulling any strings. And to be honest with you, I really don't give a damn about the Big 12 possibly flirting with the University of Houston. I say this because I remember back in 2016, back when Tom Herman was still at University of Houston and there were rumblings that the Big 12 was having internal discussions about possible expansion. And University of Houston was one of the teams that they were having conversations about. And it's pretty much nothing more, or should I say nothing worse, than you know that girl that flirts with you just to get to the point where you like ask her on a date you got to muster up the strength you're already kind of sweating a little bit palm sweaty and then she's like oh i just i just kind of like you as a friend not really like anything else and, and something like that and i say this because ut and oklahoma run the big 12. sure that's that's number one
1: that's obvious it's a given
2: ut in oklahoma we're never going to let university of Houston in the big 12, because they would have had to compete with university of Houston for recruiting grounds, because UT and Oklahoma both recruit a lot of players from the Houston area. So imagine this, if U of H is in the big 12, they can no longer use that trump card of, oh, I mean, well, you know, we play on Fox and ABC and ESPN every weekend, like Universe Houston, they play on CBS Sports Network. And from time to time, like this weekend, when they, when Universe Houston plays Texas Tech, it'll be on ESPN or ABC, whichever one of those. So they can always use that trump card of what well, hey kid we're going we play on the best networks you don't want to play on those second tier networks like university of houston they won't be able to do that because u of h would be in the same conference as them so they would be able to uh go ahead and get some of those top recruits to stay within the city of houston or in the houston area that's number one number two and this is what's now about to happen ou and ut like i said they run the big 12. well where the hell are ut and ou going in a couple of years SEC. Exactly. So you're not going to see much of the you're not going to the big 12 without UT and OU cannot withstand or should I say cannot sustain power five accreditation. They can't without UT and OU. So now you're inviting me to a party that all the pretty girls have already left. (laughs) You're inviting me to a party where all the cool kids have already left. So forgive me for not jumping up and down five years later a half decade later when now you're having serious discussion about inviting me to your party that every, all the cool kids are gone why the hell do i want to go do i want to go there so that's why when you say that i remember reading that just the other day and i'm like oh i'm like <laughs> typical now they're having discussions in byu and i think cincinnati, cincinnati and uf and, UCF. and, and, U- F- and yep. the thing is is that I've, I've had a few talks with a couple of coaches around college football, BYU, Cincinnati, they don't give a damn about the big 12. So the big 12 has to go ahead and come to a, have a come to Jesus moment, simply because I think you are going to see the big 12 go by way of the big East. Yeah. I remember several years ago, back when I was in college, you said you had Miami and Virginia tech were in the big, 12, we're in the big East, West Virginia as well. Miami and V Tech leave the Big East; they go to the ACC, and then that became a ripple effect. So then the Big East started pulling from Conference USA, and then it just became a domino effect. And then before you knew it, the Big East pretty much just disintegrated, and then it became the American Athletic Conference. So I look for the Big Twelve to do something like that because outside of going to go get a Michigan and Ohio State, a USC an Arizona state or UCLA or something like that outside of going to go get one of those, one of those blue bloods, one of those big dogs on the, on the uh, college football. It just, should I say the college slash university landscape, I don't see the big 12 being able to say, to be able to maintain their big 12. I'm sorry, their power five level accreditation.
1: I'm with you there. All right, let's move on now to the NFL. And the Raiders open up the season Monday night football against the Baltimore Ravens. Raiders are currently four and a half point underdogs in this one. And if you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you should go to win money. If you're a football better, there are tons of futures and props you can wager on as well. Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So, before the next tip off, face off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Stan, Raiders roster is set. 53 man roster is ready to go. And one of the surprise moves I thought was Carl Joseph getting released. You know, they signed him back in April, and I thought he would come in and provide some leadership for that young secondary in the back end. I know he missed the first two exhibition games and played the third one against the 49ers. And you know, when Gruden was asked about it after the game, he's like, oh, I just wanted to get the rust off of Joseph. And, well, apparently it was more of an audition for him than that, Stan. And coaching staff didn't see what they liked. They've moved on. Uh, they're going Raiders are going to eat about a million dollars by cutting him. And he wasn't unemployed very long as the, uh, he signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. What other moves perhaps caught your eye?
2: Oh, that was probably the, uh, the one that probably caught my eye the most. But I think everything else pretty much was what I expected. You know, I, I don't think there was anything that like was just eye popping pretty much. You kind of, kind of already knew the depth chart was intact pretty much at the beginning of of training camp, things like that. So I didn't see anything, at least unbeknownst to me that, uh, that really was a head scratcher.
1: All right. Well, we know the Raiders were a little depleted at linebacker because of some injuries, but on Thursday they signed KJ right to a one-year deal. That was 32. Uh He spent his entire career with the Seattle Seahawks. He's obviously familiar with Gus Bradley's system, having played for him from 2009 to 2012. I mean, Stan, he's coming off an impressive year. 86 tackles, two sacks, two fumble recoveries, and one INT. And I was looking at the numbers. That's better than any Raider returning linebacker, except for Morrow, who had three sacks last year. So he's obviously an instant upgrade. Now, they've also added Denzel Perriman to the mix. So now, Stan, you know what? I'm thinking, I'm looking at this Raiders linebacking core, and I know I've been very pessimistic when it comes to the defense. As you know, you called me out for it. But I'm starting to get a little bit optimistic about this group. I mean, Littleton, Witkowski, Perriman, K.J. Wright, and then Nicholas Morrow comes back. I'm starting to feel a little bit optimistic
2: about this group. <laughs> <laughs> You're coming around, Dennis. Now, I think that I think the KJ Wright signing was everything having to do with Gus Bradley. He's somebody that knows KJ Wright ever since his first few years in Seattle. And I think that he's what you would call at 32, we all get it, his best days are behind him, but he's gonna be a culture setter. He's gonna be somebody that's gonna go ahead and deliver that message that Gus Bradley is trying to go ahead and deliver himself to the defense, the younger guys, people like that. So I think that right there, to me, is more about locker room, culture, leadership, than actually expecting Cajaret to come in and be a dominant force. They're going to expect him to contribute, but not exactly like a dominant force where you can go ahead and just center the defense around him.
1: Stan, let me ask you this. I want you to take me back to your playing days. When you were going through training camp, 90 guys in there, were there some guys you maybe stayed away from or – didn't want to get it know as well because, you know what, you thought, these guys aren't going to make this team.
2: <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say it was deliberate, but I think there were probably some guys where I did not feel as moved or I didn't feel as motivated to get to know on a deeper level just because I did not think they were going to make the team. I didn't think they were going to be there that long. And I can tell you like this as a player, or should I say a former player, you know who has a shot at making the team and who doesn't. And a lot of time, it's not because whether the guy can play or not, but every team, at every position, there are just the GM, the head coach, whatever, that there's a group of people in each position that those are the coach's guys. Those are the ones you know they're going to make the team. They're going to be high on the depth chart, things like that. And so just off of the numbers game, the logistics alone, even uh, back at the defensive back position, back when I was in Oakland, we already knew okay i'm gonna be here Namdi, huff tyvon chris johnson uh, d'angelo hall uh leto Shepard, uh dwayne starks tyrone pool whoever depending on what year it was so you already knew that it may have been two spots the bottom of the depth chart that were up for grabs and simply not not because some of the guys that came in couldn't play there were some guys that came in that they really could play and they easily could have contributed but just off the simple fact that okay you know what al already has his guys these are the ones he likes these are the ones that are definitely going to make the team so you already knew that it was going to be an ultimate game of musical chairs and there was going to be some people that just simply got left without a chair to sit in and once again i will go ahead and repeat it's not because they couldn't play it's just because it's musical chairs. It's only so many spots, and several of them are already spoken for.
1: Stan, when you became a veteran leader in that secondary, did the coaches ever come to you about, you know, hey, should we possibly keep this guy, or how does this guy fit, or who fits better? Uh, what we're trying to do? Anything like that ever happened?
2: no pretty much for the most part the coaches they coach al was the owner and <laughs> we didn't cross lines in between i can tell you that there was one time going back into the 2009 season i do remember that al he wanted a lot of the db's opinion because he was trying to decide should he draft michael crabtree darius hayward bay or Jeremy macklin out of missouri so there was one time where i was asked for my input but not about the defensive back group but just about as far as Who do I think is the best receiver coming out of college, and who should they be looking to draft?
1: Well, we know the Raiders took Darius Hayward Bay, and I remember that draft. I'm like, please take Michael Crabtree. Please take Michael Crabtree. Who did you recommend, Al?
2: Mm, I think back then at the time, I think I recommended Crabtree, and I'll tell you why. Not because I felt like he was the best receiver. Not not because of that, but just because – with him, I think he was, I think in te- his last few years at Texas Tech, I think he led the NCAA in receiving yards or receptions or both. I forget it was so long ago. And I, fit, and I knew coming to Oakland in that 2009 season, we needed a number one guy. We needed somebody that, okay, we know that he can carry the load, so to speak. And with a Jeremy Macklin out of Missouri, with Darius Hayward Bay, obviously out of Maryland, they were burners. And I always felt like they would excel. On a team where they were asked to be like the number three receiver, you line them up against a, a slot corner or maybe the third corner, something like that, and they really could go ahead and have a day. I'd always felt like that, but I felt like asking them to go to come in and be the number one guy, be uh, the number one target. That may be a lot just because I remember DHB, even back in college, he was a burner. Everybody knew that, made big plays, things like that. But was he polished enough to go ahead and carry the load and be able to under be able to go ahead and absorb a double team and still be able to and still be able to go out there and eat and be successful and things like that? So I think I, I think I chose Crabtree because of being able to handle the workload because of the bevy of catches he was having at his days at Texas Tech. But still, nonetheless, I can tell you as a defensive back, as a corner, there are certain guys who are good, but then there are certain guys that strike fear in your hearts, fear in your mind as a DB. And I can tell you, even though I picked Crabtree to be the guy that we chose, lining up at a game, I'd be more nervous lining up against DHB than I would be Michael Crabtree, just because he was more of a possession guy. And I, And, and as a corner, the people that really make you nervous are the ones that can make big plays the ones that can make the splash plays i remember moss told me this years ago he said route the guys in this league who are gonna give you the problems are the big guys who can run and those were guys who gave me problems so as far as uh who i'm getting ready to line up against and who's gonna make me think a second or third time it would be it would have been dhb more so than crabtree
1: interesting you would have made for a good scout stan hey uh, (laughs) mike sando of the Athletic. He recently pulled five NFL front office execs and had them rank all 16 teams in the AFC heading into the season. So, I want to go in reverse order. So, who do you think number 16 is? I mean, it's pretty obvious one. In the AFC. On. In the AFC. We're talking just AFC now.
2: And we're talking about teams, yep. uh, organization, yep. personnel.
1: How good the teams are going to be this year.
2: Oh, well, no, well, number 16, it would probably be the Houston Texans. That's what a lot of people that say. That is
1: correct. Number 15, the New York Jets. Number 14, the Cincinnati Bengals. Number 13 is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Stan, the Raiders are 12th. Uh, Mm -hmm. We'll continue the list. Miami Dolphins, number 11. Denver Broncos, number 10. Pittsburgh Steelers are ninth. New England Patriots, eighth. Tennessee Titans, seven. Los Angeles Chargers, six. Colts are five. Browns, Ravens, Bills, and then obviously the Chiefs are number one. And then let me tell you what the reasoning was behind the Raiders' ranking. The Raiders rank last in combined defense special teams since drafting Derek Carr in 2014. They rank last since John Gruden became head coach. I mean, (laughs) they finished 8-8 and last season on the strength of a strong offense led by Carr. They turned over multiple spots in their offensive line in an effort to get younger. They hired Gus Bradley to install a safer defensive scheme. Safer. One voter said, I think they're going to be better because of their pass rush, but they're not good enough to compete for a playoff spot. What are your thoughts on the Raiders ranking 12th in the AFC, according to some NFL execs?
2: Well, I can tell you like this. Obviously, you have the Houston Texans at number 16. They're a they're, they're clear they're a clear last place. At least that's what's being presumed right now. I still think the Texans are probably gonna still win four or five games just because it's the game of football and nobody's gonna go out there and be 0 and 17. That's my per that's my personal belief. Now, as far as the Raiders being number 12, I think everywhere between eight to twelve will probably be separated by a game to a game and a half, if that. So I think that that's just a matter of okay, do I like Pepsi over Coke or vice versa, as far as choosing number 12, or number eight, in my opinion. I think after you get past the Chiefs, the Bills, the Ravens, let's go and throw the Browns in there. We got to see if Baker can go ahead and do it a second year in a row. The Colts, because they won the division last year. I think once you get past five or six, it really is just kind of like a crapshoot of whether like, okay, you know what? Do I like the blue one or do I like the black one? Like, There's no definitive separation, so I could easily see why somebody would do that. Now, me being on the optimistic side, they went 8-8 eight and eight last year. There's also three games that they blew right at the last second, so they could easily be in 11-5 rather than 8-8 eight and eight if just one or two plays go the opposite direction. So I think as easily as somebody's ranking them number 12, they could easily wind up being number 7 or 8, uh, sneaking in the playoffs, something like that, because they did beat the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead last year, and we're about to beat them a second time and sweep them at Allegiant Stadium, had we not had a blunder in the back end of the defense, but I digress. So I'm not really surprised because they went eight and eight last year. They had defensive wolves. to the naked eye. They did not go out and make a splash signing. They did not make a splash trade acquisition, uh, uh, any sort of a draft pick. They didn't draft Patrick Sertain. They didn't draft J.C. Horn. They didn't draft Micah Parsons. So I can see why one would believe, well, the Raiders had defensive problems last year. They're not really going to be any better this year because they didn't make any any extravagant type of acquisition. So I could see that logic. But I just choose to believe that Gus Bradley is going to simplify things, and you're going to see guys that are more in position they were out of position last year, and just off of that alone, and I tell this to my high school kids: if you just simply are in the right place, just in the right place, that's it. You're probably going to win one or two more games just off of being put together and being sound. So just off of that alone, you're looking at ten and seven already, different than eight and eight last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I look at the three teams, or maybe let's go four teams that they put ahead of them. At number eleven, I mean, Miami. I think they've got some. Pieces in the right place. I think it all hinges on Tua. How is he going to play a quarterback? Yes. I'm not even sure if Miami sold on Tua. As exactly. Second year. And Denver, they went
2: 10 and 6 last year.
1: Yeah. Denver, I mean, come on now. Teddy Bridgewater, how much better does he make them? Uh, I, don't know. I, think, I don't know if Denver's I think, better than the Raiders. I
2: think because of the fact that Teddy Bridgewater does not turn the ball over because he's not careless and reckless with the ball. A lot of people, a lot of the prognosticators, they are assuming that that is going to just want, like I said, just off of the fact that you're not going to have the silly turnovers and you're going to have somebody who's a little bit more buttoned up under center, just off of that alone, that's going to translate to about two more wins this year as opposed to last season.
1: Pittsburgh Steelers come in at number nine. I mean, are we going to see the Steelers that started, what, 11-0 a year ago or the one that stumbled down the stretch and got knocked out in the first round by the Cleveland Browns? I mean, Ben has clearly slimmed down. They've drafted Najee Harris running back out of alabama so who knows what steelers team we're going to see the patriots you're going to put them at eight with a rookie quarterback mac jones i don't know prove it to me uh, that that one you got to prove it to me i'm not sold on the patriots uh as a number 18 and then one through seven i don't know stan if i can really argue with that chiefs builds Ravens, Browns, Colts, Chargers. I mean, we talked about the Chargers last week. I think they're the real wild card. I think if they could stay healthy, they can it, definitely compete. But you know, injuries have been. Yeah, I know. it's a and, big that, and that's the main thing. If, if you know, what, if I mean? if, you you know
2: what I mean? Like so yeah, for so for so many games, you saw how even with Anthony Lynn. As the head coach, how they just simply blew leads in the fourth quarter, on top of the injuries that they've been snake bitten by, but they've they've had several games where they just simply did not finish strong in the fourth quarter. How do we know that that's going to be short of what just because they have a new head coach? So I think that once you get past five, once you get past six, I really just think like it's just a mud pile right there, and it just comes down to who's going to have a better game. Two or three more Sundays out of the year than they did the year before. But nothing's, so, nothing's definitive after you get past the Chiefs, the Bills, the Ravens, teams like that. So it does not shock me at all. I'm not surprised by it. And I think that because of such a lower ranking, it's much easier to fly under the radar. You can sneak up on people. And then before they know it, you're already standing on top of
1: Well, Raiders GM Mike Mayock, he met with the media earlier this week, and he said, look, and he goes, expectations are high in the building, and we expect to be a playoff team. And here's Raiders GM Mike Mayock. First year I
3: was here, I think I was excited
1: because it was um,
3: the – you bring a group of kids in and you're kind of nervous about it. We started out six and three that year, I think, or six and four, um, and the kids played pretty well, and we just didn't play well going down the stretch. And I was really excited heading into that season. Young guys played pretty well, it was fun to watch. Um, last year, I was kind of had mixed emotions. I was very excited, but the, the lack of training camp. I'm not sure if people really understand it. And all 32 teams deal with it, right? So I'm not complaining. Please don't take it that way. But it's just a different developmental path for the young guys, right? So, you know, I think the, the most obvious example is our little nickel running around out there, Amik, and you know, he's playing outside, he's playing inside. We didn't see any of the quickness, energy, disruption, and explosion last year that we're seeing this year. And it's really cool to see this year. It's cool to see the light go on. And a lot of that is not having any off-season program, being confused, playing slow. So last year for me was a little different. I was frustrated because I felt like in our system on both sides of the ball, it's tough on young guys. The volume is tough, especially on offense. It's tough. Um, so no off-season camp was brutal. COVID was managing covid was hard it was a different kind of excitement i don't know i don't think i explained it very well but it's. A, it was a this year back to kind of normal and i'm fired up and it's part of a being back to normal but b more just the accumulation of three years and at this point uh, my dad used to say don't worry about whether or not the horse is blind just load the freaking truck you know and that's where we are we, we've assembled 53 players um we think we're going to be a pretty good football team Uh, We're not hiding from expectations. I think John and I would both tell you that we feel like we need to be a playoff team this year. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. And you guys are all going to put that in your headlines. And and I understand it, Um, but we're not, I mean, that's what the expectation is. We think we've done um, the infrastructure work
1: necessary to put us in position. All right, Stan, we just heard from Raiders GM, Mike Mayock. He is in his third season If the Raiders don't make the playoffs, is he going to be the fall guy?
2: Because you have so much invested in John Gruden, because uh, Mark Davis has always wanted John Gruden, even from the moment he left back in the early 2000s, because you would owe him so much money if you were to go ahead and fire him. That's why you'll probably see Mike Mayock be the fall guy, because you can't make John Gruden a fall guy
1: let me ask you this does mayock get a mulligan because of last year dealing with covid you had no otas no training camp you think that might factor in
2: uh, i think that maybe it could if he can go ahead and talk a good game uh, if he's got a good mouthpiece but ultimately you got to really look at it this will be going on the third year that mike mayock has been the the uh the gm of the yeah. raiders
1: Yep, this is currently his third year.
2: Yep. In the four, in the fourth year for John Gruden, I think that as a as an owner, as a GM, I need to see improvement. Like we see other teams that they get turned around within about two to three years. They get turned around. So you gotta ask yourself, why are the Raiders not turned around yet? So that's where you have to look at management. Who's who's the leader? Who's somebody that's in a position that, okay, he's the one constructing the team. He's putting his fingerprint on this team. So I think that it's going to be probably a steep hill to climb to be able to go ahead and bend back and lean on the pandemic as the reason why you haven't been able to go ahead and take the following steps forward.
1: So under Mayock, stand, seven and nine, eight and eight, so incremental improvements. Let's just say they didn't make the playoffs, but let's say the Raiders went nine and eight or 10 and seven. Would that be enough, do you think, for him to keep his job?
2: I think maybe a 10 and seven and a very odd extraordinary year where you have a lot of teams doing well in the afc and the raiders did well with the 10 and 7 record they just simply did not have enough wins to be in the top seven where let's say like three teams from one division make it to the playoffs something like that i think outside of that extraordinary type of situation that anomaly I think it's going to be very, very difficult to not make the playoffs and still have a safe job.
1: Well, they play in a tough division. I mean, we know Kansas City is the cream of the crop. They are the uh, two-time uh, champions in the AFC. We know San Diego's. better. Oh, I just call them San Diego. I do it too. I, we I know the do it too LA sometimes. Chargers are better. And I, I still think the Raiders are better than Denver. But, you know, third place I don't think is going to make it when you finish third in the AFC West. All right, Stan, let's get to our final topic now. And Jacksonville Jaguars rookie head coach, Urban Meyer, he said he and general manager, Trent Baalke, are looking at players' vaccination statuses when they considered their final cuts. Now, Meyer said, you know, with the more stringent COVID-19 protocols imposed on unvaccinated players who test positive or identified as high-risk close contacts compared with protocols for vaccinated players. I mean, Meyer's comments did not go over well with the NFL players association. It's led to an open investigation, but Stan Meyer, for his part said vaccination status was one of the things considered not the final straw, but you know, players that were cut only because of the vaccination status. So, I mean, I'm going to explain the difference in protocols and it's pretty drastic. I mean, The difference of protocols for vaccinated and unvaccinated players is significant. Yes. Unvaccinated player who tests positive or is classified as high risk, close contact would miss significantly more time than a vaccinated player. So vaccinated players are tested weekly and those who test positive are required to be out for 10 days or can return sooner. Once they receive two negative tests separated by 24 hours, vaccinated players cannot be identified as high risk, Close contacts. But if they are exposed to someone who tests positive, they must wear a mask inside the facility and must test daily for five days after the exposure. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Unvaccinated players are tested daily, and those who test positive must, must miss 10 days. And then there's a three-day return to play protocol. So, Stan, if an unvaccinated player tests positive on a Friday or Saturday, he is guaranteed to miss two games. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, what's the thing you and I always talk about on the show? Availability. John Gruden has always preached availability. And remember this now. If you get to so many cases and you can't play, you have to forfeit now. Yes. They're not gonna move games for you. Those are forfeits. And when you don't play, Stan, players don't get paid.
2: <laughs> so right about that. So I think that um that's pretty much the world that we now live in. As far as Urban Meyer. I remember he said last week, how basically how, yes, that does factor into who we're gonna keep and who we're gonna cut. And then obviously somebody from upstairs went and whispered in his ear, hey urban go ahead and you know walk this thing back we can't have this PR nightmare or whatever so then they come out they say that a person's vaccination status had no bearing on who we're going to cut and who we're going to keep blah 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 you know you're lying and every other team is lying as well because when we look at the New England Patriots I'm pretty sure Cam Newton's not being vaccinated played a part in the reason why New England cut him when they did because just like what you said I have to make sure that you're available. And if you're in a position where you could be out here catching COVID, you're not vaccinated, it's already been very apparent that the NFL has said that it's more stringent rules on players and teams that aren't vaccinated. That's something that every team is going to look at whenever they're considering a player, whether it's keeping the player, signing the player, trading for the player. So you're going to have to deal with that for the foreseeable future. As long as we are still in this pandemic and let, as long as the Delta variant is still rummaging all the way throughout our country, as long as the coronavirus is still prevalent in our society, you're going to have to just simply play by said rules or be okay with the consequences it brings.
1: Stan, we all know Urban said out loud what every franchise is talking about behind closed doors. I mean, we know that. So kind of a two-part question for you. If you were a current player right now, and if one of your teammates was unavailable because he was unvaccinated and couldn't play, how would you feel about that? And then as a former member of the NFL PA, can they really do anything with this investigation from stopping teams from cutting a guy because he's unvaccinated or one of the reasons?
2: I don't think that uh, the NFLPA can really do anything. It's just simply because it is still a league that is mostly unguaranteed contracts. you got some people with high guarantees. I remember a couple of years ago, Kirk Cousins had a full, fully, guaran- fully guaranteed contract, things like that. But as long as contracts are not fully guaranteed, you're always going to still be at the mercy of the owners to a certain degree. But I think that, it's very clear, like, once again, like I said last week, this is a privilege, not a right, period. It doesn't matter how fast you are, how strong you are, how quick you are, all of that. Don't matter how tall you are, whatever. Don't matter how strong your arm is as a quarterback, it's a privilege to play in this league. And you are literally telling your employer, hey, sign me, pay me a lot of money, but oh yeah, I also wanna be able to do whatever the hell I wanna do. Where on planet earth can you get that type of a deal where you get paid a lot of money and the person who pays you a lot of money, you don't have to do anything that they ask you to do or anything they tell you to do. That does not exist on planet earth. If it does, please point it out to me so I can go work there. So I think for players, you just gotta go ahead and accept whatever decision you make, you gotta be willing to live with the consequences. And if not, then you have to really seriously think why the hell are you doing this if you're not willing to live with the consequences.
1: Would you want to play with a guy like Kirk Cousins who's the quarterback is supposed to be the leader of that franchise? But He's made it perfectly clear. He's not getting vaccinated. Would you want to play with someone like that?
2: I mean, see, it it, it really cuts two different ways because you have the human aspect and then you have the team the teammate aspect and from a human standpoint he's a grown man he can do whatever he wants as long as he's keeping his family safe providing for his family whatever he chooses that's his business that's his body he can do whatever the hell he wants he's a man so i think that or should i say he's an adult but when you look at the teammate there's the part of the team where you have to give off the eye for we. and if i have a teammate who Knows everything that's going on. He knows that he's going to be under stricter guidelines if he doesn't get vaccinated, and is still willing to not do it and run the risk of possibly being unavailable for us at any given moment, albeit a big game, something like that. There is the rain. There is a uh, there is a, a a hint of selfish. There's a hint of not being a team player. There's a hint of just simply being more narcissistic than it is thinking about the team. So it really kind of cuts both ways and the dichotomy of it is what's the most perplexing because on one hand, you're not gonna go and condemn your neighbor because he decided he did not wanna get vaccinated, him and his family. But if it's your teammate, you're gonna hold that against him because you feel that now he's putting your success at risk. He's putting because- your livelihood.
1: He's putting your livelihood it, at risk.
2: And, yes, and, and livelihood. So I think that that's a tough one. But on the spot, I probably would have somewhat of an issue with it because I would view it as being extremely selfish. Even though I know that there's a man aspect, there's a father aspect, there's a grown man aspect, there's a I have a family aspect where I wanna put my family in the best position so they can be safe. And that, that simply may disagree with my philosophy. So, I mean, that's a tough one I would really have to I'd have to go ahead and, and be cognizant of myself to not allow that to affect how I interact with that said person because they have a family, they provide for their family, they that sad in the third. So I cannot completely just go and throw that, that, uh, that aspersion
1: on them. You guys won your season opener last week, what, 35, 28?
2: Uh, something like that. Yes. But uh, yeah, we won our season opener. Yes, we did.
1: And then you guys got uh, who do you got tomorrow on Saturday? We got
2: John Paul II and, uh, out of Plano, up there in the up there in the DFW area, up there in North Texas.
1: How you feeling about it?
2: Pretty confident. I think uh, I think we're gonna be two and zero. I want to win this game. And I want to go ahead and see exactly how far we can get. Uh, the, this is the first time we've been 1-0 since I've been at St. Thomas High School. So I definitely want to savor that. And I want to hold on to it as much as I can. I don't see any reason why we cannot win the game tomorrow. Not to say that John Paul II is a slouch because they got good players. But I think if we execute and if we pay attention to detail like we've been doing all week and we just simply seize the moment, I think we'll be just fine.
1: Best of luck, my friend.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate you, Dennis.
1: Good stuff as always, Stan.
2: Yes, sir. All right,
1: that's going to do it for another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by BenOnline.ag. From my partner, Stanford Rout, I'm Dennis Sackerman. Thanks so much for listening, and may all your punts find the coffin corner.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.